Change takes time, takes our time, takes my attention and my focus away from the things maybe I want to be focusing on. Change is a process. It just seems to go on and on. If I could change everything that needs to be changed with a quick snap of the finger and we were there, I'd probably go ahead and do it and I might be okay with change. But you and I both know it doesn't work that way. Change is a process. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to actually walk you through in the next few minutes how God actually works a process to challenge us with change. And he kind of walks us through these things. And in the, in the, the process of doing that, we are challenged to change and it's revealed to us the benefit of change. So let's just take a look at this. And you're going to notice these six of these. We're going to walk through them kind of fairly quick. But I want to leave the end. I want to leave a little bit of time for you to do a little business with God. Because here's my guess. Some of you came in this morning and you're being challenged with change in your life right now. And you are whining and kicking and screaming and, and it's a horrible time in your life. And a lot of it stems from the fact that you just don't like change. For some of you, you're going through a change and it's difficult. It's hard. You might have even got yourself in this situation because of your own poor choices or it might have had nothing to do with what you did. It just was thrust upon you and you have to walk through it. And you know the way you used to function will not function now. So you have to look at change in your life. And so over the next few minutes, as we walk through these, these six in God's process, my guess would be at the end, if you're honest with the Lord in your heart, there might be some things that you just need to bow at the end of this and say, Lord, let's just do a little bit of business. And I want to give you that opportunity when we get to that point at the end. Here's the first thing, uh, if you follow in your outline this morning, the first thing is you feel uncomfortable. Do you know that God actually uses discomfort to get our attention and to bring about change? Now, let me be clear with you. Every time you're a little restless and uncomfortable does not mean God is speaking to you. We're talking about the process God uses. So there's times when God actually will use discomfort. Like this afternoon, if it's about four o'clock and you're watching golf on TV, and all of a sudden you start to feel like, I just feel a little inadequate with my set of golf clubs. I kind of feel like I need to go out and buy a new set of golf clubs. I'm restless, I'm, I have discomfort with my golf clubs. So I'm gonna go buy a new set of golf clubs. And of course, you know, more expensive is better, so you go out and you spend $1,200 today on a complete set of golf clubs. That's not God, okay? That's not what we're talking about. You have misheard. In fact, before you do that, turn to your spouse and say, here's what I'm thinking about doing, and you will be corrected almost immediately uh, on that. But when God uses this process, there are times where God actually uses discomfort. He makes us uncomfortable. We're restless. We know something is wrong. Something's out of whack. And he's speaking to us to say, time to sit down and process. Time to look at what is going on here that's causing this or what am I leading you to? Now, if you know the book of Job, then you remember Job's story in the Old Testament. Job, basically, he's called a blameless man, which is uh, uh, basically a Bible word for perfect man. And yet, God allows the enemy to test, to tempt, and to torment Job in all kinds of ways to see if it would rattle his faith and if he would turn from God. Now, we know Job does not do this. Despite everything being taken away from Job, family and riches and possessions and everything is gone, he doesn't curse God. And then we find there's this moment of quiet in Job's life 
where he's just kind of sitting and saying, what's next? What is going to happen now? And we get this verse in Job chapter 30. It says, the churning inside me never stopped. Some of your translations actually say, the discomfort inside me never ceased. That God was actually using and uses with us discomfort at times where it's just churning and moving within us. And we know, you know, something's not quite right. And we have to investigate. What do I do about that? What is that? What's at the core of that? And often what God is doing is he's propelling us to look at our lives and to make change in our life. Some of you are sitting here, that's all you need to hear right there. All you needed to hear this morning was a confirmation that your discomfort and your restlessness is, is very well of God, of God moving you to focus and to redirect and to ask what is going on here. Because often this discomfort will propel us into change, whereas we wouldn't change on our own. Do you know how it works with eagles? They, uh, I learned this this week. Um, when the eagles, uh, baby eagles, whatever they're called, are ready to fly, the, uh, they're sometimes, uh, they sometimes don't want to do that, as you uh, might expect, uh, to jump out and fly for the first time. I don't know quite what that's like. And so what the mother eagle does is she messes up the nest. She pushes things around and makes it an uncomfortable place to stand or to lay, which means it propels these baby eagles out into flight. I believe God often does that to us. He's propelling us forward. Now, how do you know it's from God, your discomfort? Just quickly, and this, this will apply to all the points we're talking about this morning. How do we know it's from God? Well, first ask the question, what does God's word say? What does the word of God say? If you're sitting there today and you're saying, gosh, I really have this unrest with my financial situation, I think I'll go rob a bank tomorrow. Chances are you're not going to find a backing up in God's word to support that, and we would know that discomfort is probably not from God, or it's probably not leading you to rob a bank, at least. Uh, but what does God's word say? How does God's word support what you're feeling and this unrest inside of you? What does wise counsel say? What does wise Christian counsel say about that as well? Do you have a Christian friend or someone to talk to and say, you know, I just... I've just been at such unrest that something needs to change or something's off. Tell me more about it. And then, yes, the Lord is pushing you. It might be time to pray and fast and ask, what is the Lord speaking to you about? Hit number two as well is, is this. You might reach a crisis in your life. Now, God doesn't always use crisis to bring about change in our life, but he often does. He often allows crisis to come in our life. He does it in two different ways. One way he does it is he lets our own choices come to a boiling point. We reject God, or we say, I'm going to do it my way. We make unwise decisions, and eventually we uh, they compound one after another, and we come to the point where we just have to kind of pay the piper on our decisions. Crisis comes, and the whole time God is there saying, hey, I'm here for you. You just turn to me. We'll make all of this mess correct, but sometimes that's through crisis. Other times God brings crisis or allows crisis to affect our lives when it's not necessarily our fault but God uses it to capture our attention, much like in the book of Job as well. Crisis is actually a dangerous opportunity. It's dangerous, it's tough, but it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to evaluate what needs to change, what caused this here in my life. And often it's the opportunity for something new. You know, sometimes uh, when we face crisis, maybe you've been fired in your job. Was your fault? Wasn't your fault? So you're, you're fired. It's a crisis, right? Maybe you've had an accident and it's changed your health situation entirely, how you'll function, maybe for the rest of your life. 
Maybe you get sick and it's not one of those simple colds, it lingers. And you're still facing the effect and maybe you wilt for some time. Maybe in your marital situations, one person finally says, you know, that's it, I'm out. Or maybe your business crumbles. You made good decisions or maybe you made poor decisions, but the business had hit crisis. All of these are opportunities for God to work, to speak into our life, and to bring about change if necessary. This tension we feel, this tension comes from our crisis, but it turns us back to God. And this is significant times. Sometimes uh, we allow crisis to actually move us away from God. Did you know that? I mean, it's an interesting, it's an amazing, uh, uh, kind of baffling for pastors, actually, that at times what happens when crisis hits our life, good believers will turn from God or they'll stay away from the church or they'll say, you know, I just, I just, don't, I just don't want the encouragement they have to offer right now. I need to be quiet. Whereas those who don't know Jesus Christ out in our world face crisis and they're often drawn to Christ. They're drawn to the church. They're drawn to something different. Why is that? Because sometimes in the midst of crisis, we start to challenge the thing that's been stability in our life, and we turn to look for something else. And can I encourage you this morning that if you're facing crisis, and in a room this size, somebody's facing crisis, that is your opportunity to turn to God, to clutch in a way that maybe you haven't clutched And for a time, you may just have to hang on to God with nothing actually changing in the crisis. But eventually this change comes. Here's what James says. He looks at it in a totally different way. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. James, in his context, he's talking about these trials specifically because of what he believes. And he says, these are great trials. If your faith is being challenged, this is wonderful trials. Why? Because you can come out of the other end with a stronger, more vibrant faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily enjoy going through those type of things. I don't like walking through the crisis situations, through the trials. But I believe in what James says, that there's that there's strength when we walk through the crisis. He calls it perseverance. So crisis can strengthen our faith. But you know what? Whether it's discomfort or it's a crisis, it's going to bring us to a point, number three. And the point is this. you got to make a decision. You've got to decide now, what do I do about this discomfort? What do I do about this crisis? Am I going to move ahead or am I going to retreat? Am I going to run from my problems or am I going to face my problem here? Am I going to blame other people, or is it time for me to take responsibility for myself? How about waking up from reality, or do I just continue to live in denial like there's no trouble at all? Am I going to follow Jesus, or do I run from Jesus and decide I'll just just run my own life? See, the decisions uh, the disciples had to make was very similar. Jesus presented himself to them in Mark chapter 1. He says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's Peter, and his brother Andrew casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen, right? That's good. Nothing wrong with that occupation, right? I mean, they fed themselves. They probably fed villages. They, They did just fine. Jesus, though, says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
They had this decision to make when Jesus came. He says, look, you got a, you got a nice life here. You got, you're doing well. But I actually want to call you to something greater, something greater in God's kingdom. Are you willing to go? And we find for them in an instant, they turned from that and headed that path. The great thing about our faith in this decision-making process is truly God has said, you have the ability to make a decision. God gives us all kinds of counsel, his word, Christians to, to lean on. But in the end, he says, look, you have free will to make a decision. His desire is that we would follow him. But he gives us that free will. That's how much he loves us and cares for us. Would it be easier if God would just kind of dictate or mandate that we make a certain decision a certain way? I guess. But every single one of us as parents know the joy when we turn decision-making over to our kids and they make the right decision. That's great joy. And God does the same for us. Free will to decide. But we can't avoid it. It's in front of us. You got to make a decision. Now, how do you make that decision? What helps them? Number four, take a look at it. You actually learn how to think differently. When we learn how to think differently, it helps our decision-making process. You can't make actually a change in your life, I don't know if you know this, without changing the way you think. It's not possible to make a change without changing the way you think. So we have to think about what are we processing? What does our mind dwell on? How does it work? And how do we change that? How do we change the way we look at our own problem, our own selves, or maybe other people as well? changing that. Paul actually writes about this in Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, uh, verse 2. He says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Let me just translate or give that kind of a, a fresh word for those of you who have read that over and over in your life. Don't allow the world to con you into its form. And that's really what's being said there is that our world has a way through our media and through music and just through common cultural thought, it has a way of teaching us and pushing us in a direction. You've heard me say, if we sit in the chair and we lift our feet to the current of culture, the current of culture will take us wherever it wants to go. And here, Paul is saying, don't allow the world to con you. Don't allow them to make that look so sweet and so beautiful and so logical that we actually conform to it. Instead, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The changing of the way you think is what he's asking us to do there. If we go on uh, in that passage, he actually says, and then you'll be able to prove what the will of God is. Have you ever wanted that? Have you ever said, like, I just want to know what good does God want me to do? What does God want us to do? Well, here, the renewing of our mind to think like God thinks actually leads us to the will of God and the understanding. So here, in changing the way we think, a couple things to keep in mind. These aren't in your notes, but you can write them down if you'd like. One, fill your mind with the word of God. Get God's word in your head so you can process it that way. I've never gone out to uh, my car because I'm not really a mechanic. I don't do a lot of things. I've got about three things I can talk about a little bit, and I somewhat can actually do those things. But I can talk about them a little more than I can do them. And I've learned that if I'm in the right circles and I talk about those three things, I can really come off like I know cars. Um, And I say those things, and I know immediately when to walk away um, because I know nothing past there. Um, But could you imagine if I wanted to attack something much more complex in my car than the three little things I know, um, and I tried to do it without any manual? 
no YouTube video, no car manual, no, hey, can you come over and help me out kind of thing. I just said, I'm just going to, I mean, they're all car parts, right? We can figure it out. And just attacked it. And sometimes that's our process in life. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to attack this issue. I'm going to attack it God's way. And we leave out God's word. And it just doesn't work so well for us. Second thing is find the trigger that generates a sinful response. So, like, if you have a sinful response to this discomfort or crisis in your life, it'd be nice for you to find the trigger and understand how is it that I keep going that direction in my life and understand what that is. The third thing is check the source of your thoughts. Like, where are you really getting informed the most in your life? Where is the most input coming in that has the most influence on your life? I mean, if you're locked into like one news source and that's like you seven hours a day, you got to allow for the idea that you might be influenced to some degree. If you're like, hey, it's, I'm Netflix all weekend long, you've got to understand that your choices may be influencing to some degree. Where does the source for your thoughts get? And finally, ask the Holy Spirit. Just ask, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you renew my thinking? Would you change the way I think? Listen, if you're a guy in here and you have this knee jerk where you are walking down the street or wherever and you see a girl and she's, you know, not in much outfit and you just have this knee jerk thoughts that roll through your head, lustful type of thinking. And you've just decided, well, I guess I just have to live with that as long as I don't act on it. I guess I'm all right. No, the Holy Spirit is there to empower you to change the way you think. And you can pray, Holy Spirit. Be with my thoughts. Change my thoughts. Work on me in that area. So when we're thinking differently, we eventually we come to this climax. And you know what it is? The point is, now it's time to act. Point five here is you got to act on what you know. Up to this point, God has led you. He said, I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable. I might bring crisis to your life here. I'm going to help you make a decision. Then I'm going to kind of renew your thinking on how, how to process this decision. But now you actually got to act, right? you got to actually do something. Get out and do it. And so James 2 actually has this strong verse this way. He says, faith by itself, if, not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Maybe you've heard it said, faith without works is dead. Saying that we can claim as much faith as we want, but without putting into action, what really are we saying we believe? What really are we believing? I mean, we think about it in the way uh, I've talked to you, said before, that my job growing up was taking out the trash. And my dad and I, who we still joke to this day about this, but we had this continual runaround. If I forgot to take out the trash a day or two or longer, that he would say, well, it's just not important to you. And I'd say, it is too. It's important to me. And my dad would always have the greatest last word. I didn't understand that until I became a dad. But he would say, well, if it was important to you, you would do it. Now, that didn't make any sense as a kid. But yeah, if it's important, we would do it. There comes a time where we have to act. That if we've come to a decision and we know change needs to be made and something new, new direction, a new approach in our life, something needs to be stripped away, the time comes to do it. We've got to do it. Put it in action. You ever started a diet? I mean, not today, tomorrow, Monday. You start diets on Monday. So, yeah, so tomorrow, all right, when we start our diet, right? Um, diet's not a lot of fun to start. Like, the first day, it's fun. You go to the store. You're like, oh, I got all these new, these new food. This is going to be great. I'm... 
But by about day two, three or something, you know, you've cut out the sugar, you're starting to have a headache, you know, you've got the sweats going on, you know, the candy bar sizes look huge in the grocery store. People, you have random strangers coming up to you offering you chocolate and whatnot, and it gets terrible about three days in, right? It's horrible. And you think, well, you know, as long as I'm just cutting back, you know, I mean, as long as I go down from 4,000 calories to 3,200, I'll be okay. So we start to compromise. Or have you ever started a gym membership? You know, um, it's too late in the year now, but January 1st is coming up, and you can launch into one. Um, like, it's great the first day. Like, you probably go and you start pumping those machines, and you're like, this is awesome. Or let's say you like to take up running. I don't understand you, but let's say you do. And you get out the first day, and you're running, and you're just like, man, I just feel so loose and free. But the next morning... You feel like you got ran over by a bus, right? You feel terrible. And then you're like, maybe every other day. Like maybe every other day is probably a good plan, or you know, maybe every third or fourth day. How long does soreness take to go away? A week? Every Monday, I will do this. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, what's it really coming down to? We're, we, we're acting. We got to act on that decision. We came to that decision for a reason, to start a diet or uh, exercise program. We've got to act. Can I just tell you for a second how it works in the Christian world? And, and I, this is just a pep talk for all of us, myself included, this week. Because sometimes we just need this for one another. Here's how it works. Sometimes I hear as believers, we'll say things like this. Um, back when prayer was taken out of public school, that changed the moral compass of our culture. In fact, some people say this was the number one dominant thing that changed our direction. And I won't necessarily disagree. But if stats hold true, the average Christian prays about one minute a day. Now take out your three meals when we're praying for our food, right? And we've got about 20 seconds left of prayer that we're praying over the day. I don't know what those prayers are for. Lord, would you give me this green light? Or I, I don't know what those prayers are for. But there's about 20 seconds of them left in the day. And I'm telling you as Christians, if it's true that prayer is the number one thing that caused a moral change in our life... 20 seconds a day isn't going to get it done. So if prayer is valuable for us, if it's enough that it can change the whole shape of culture, then let's get on our knees and pray, Christians. Let's make it part of our life. Let's make it central to who we are. Sometimes I, I even hear uh, Christians will say things such as, you know, our government, um, you know, our government, that's really not their business. It's not their job to hand out and just to feed everyone. You know, that's more like the church's job, if you read God's word, to do that. And I wouldn't disagree. It's clear in the book of, of Acts that the Jerusalem church was called to do that. And they were doing that. But then again, as Christians, do we use a dominant amount of our resources individually to feed people, to care for people, house people? If you run your own business, do you keep a slot open that you hire somebody specifically in need? Do we continue to do that? Here's the beautiful thing about this. If we fall short on all these, God says, hey, let's just, let's just refocus and then let's charge after it. And he doesn't like come after us you know, for, for years tormenting us. He just is ready for us to say, I'm going to act now because a change needs to be made. You know, here in our church, um, we, in any church, changes happen a lot of times in church worlds that, that are, are tough. The church, church is one of the toughest places ever to cause change. I mean, you can go into some churches and change the carpet and look out. You're going to have a fight on your hands. You know? Yeah. 
But you know, one of the things I think every church would say, and us included, and we're passionate, we want to reach people for Jesus Christ. Am I right? I mean, would you agree with that church? We want to reach people for Jesus Christ anywhere we go. And so we launched a second service. Now, granted, this morning we had an awesome first service. We're about 30, 35 in first service. I probably could sandwich those 30, 35 in, in the chairs that are open in this service, and we could just all be together and have one service, right? We could do that. We could do it probably every week. But I can't reach all the people God has called you and me to reach. I can't fit them in two services, or this service. We need two. It, who knows? You could do three or four or five, because really our passion is to reach people for Jesus Christ. And so God says this, and what James is getting at is if God has brought you to a decision, then he's modifying your thinking. Go do it. Act on it, whatever it is. If God has challenged you in your marriage that now's the time to get help, then now's the time. Act on it. Get out there and get help now. Find a study you can walk through with a group. Find a counselor to sit down with, but don't go home today and say, well, we'll just figure out how to talk it out. Because you if you've been married a while, you've learned you're not going to make that happen that way. So if you're having trouble with your kid and you're like, man, I'm, it's out of control. They're nine years old. I don't know what I'm doing as a parent. You know what? We have all said that. I say it weekly. And God has said, go get help. Act on it. Now's the time. Now is the time to act on it, to get out there. And then finally, this last one is a longevity point. You must stay committed to the change. Like if God has said, here, you're changing, and now you're acting on that change, then you're doing it. You're changing. And God's saying, now stay committed to it, because guess what? Buckle up. It's going to get real hard. It's going to get real, real hard. Satan's no stupid uh, guy. I mean, you know what he's doing? As soon as you make commitment and you change, he's looking for any opportunity he can to derail you. Why? Because if you can make change with God and you can have victory to say, I've made change, I've, I've, I am walking a new path, and then you fall on your face, then it's easy for Satan to say, see, you weren't doing anything, and try to sink us back into the mire, as the Word of God says. So let's stay committed to the change. Here's what Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap what? A harvest if we do not give up. Now, some of you plant in the ground every year, like in your house or backyard or whatever, so you understand that you plant something, and a few months later, you're going to get a harvest, right? Um, that's all the Bible's talking about here. If we would plant and we would stay committed to it, the harvest is coming. Now, I don't know about you, but my understanding in the uh, garden world is when I plant it, it's in a little seed form, and I don't get to see anything. A few months down or a few weeks down the road, I might see a little bit of green or something popping up, I might even in a few months see a full-blown, you know, kind of like plant there, or depending on what you've planted, but it's really not till later on that I get to see the fruit. Like, where I get to really see the vegetable or, or fruit or that just the finished product in the form I might go into the grocery store and see it. It takes time, and we have to keep working and staying committed to it, even if what I'm looking like, looking at, is not what I hope to see in the end. You're working through a change in your marriage or with your kid or a relational issue. Guess what? It's going to take time. I've never, ever sat with a married couple who's come and said, you know, hey, I want to get some help. And I get them hooked up with a counselor. They call right after they went to the first counseling session and said, it's all good. We're better. Worked. Thank you. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Maybe in TV sitcoms, it never works that way in real life. It takes time. 
So here's a couple things you can write down, staying committed. Here, number one, be in God's word daily. Every day, be in God's word. Parents, lead your household in God's word. Parents, let's quit saying we're too busy in the morning. The alarm clock can be set at any time we'd like it to be set. Get up and lead our family around the word of God. Moms and dads, do you know how powerful it would be if you told your kids, hey, you just need to know from 6 to 6.15, that's my time in God's word. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to be in this room in this chair, and I'm going to be reading and spending time with God. Please don't come bother me during that time. You're not hating your kids. You're not unloving them or whatever you think that might be. You're actually teaching them something incredibly valuable that I start my day in God's word, focusing that direction. Read around the breakfast table with your kids or find a way to get in God's word every day. Second, make church a priority. Being in church and being in God's house. Look, this community, this connection can't be duplicated. This afternoon, we actually have 22 people that are coming through our starting point class, which is for our new folks. And one of the things that we would want for anyone new is to understand the connection of community and how valuable that is. Can you watch a preacher on TV? Every week, he's probably better than me. But you won't find the community in your living room watching that TV. I know I've tried once watching one online, and it was great. I didn't know what to do during the singing as I was watching. I thought, do I stand and sing, or do I, what? I wasn't quite sure how to interact and do that, though everything I watched was great. But when I'm here, and I'm standing and singing with you, when, some, when one of our singers steps away from the mic and I get to hear your voices behind me, that's, that's powerful. When we get to turn and shake a hand or have lunch together, um, that community is real. Make church a priority. There's a springboard to your week every, every Sunday. Saying find a, a third, find a community partner, or excuse me, a, an accountability partner. An accountability partner, just somebody you can connect with. Somebody who you allow to ask in your life, hey, what's going on? What, what's happening? Somebody that you can share and then you know within two weeks they might call and say, hey, how's it going with uh, what we talked about there? You know, find that, commu- that accountability partner and then pick up your phone when they call, Right? Connect with them. Talk with them. Let them into your life. They'll let you into theirs as well. And finally, find more opportunities to serve. If you can fill your time up more with saying, I'm going to give to them, I'm going to do for them and less for me, there's something that God does in that. Here's the takeaway this morning. You can't change. You can't be a change agent unless you're in community. Another way of saying it is you can't do any of this on your own. This morning, if God impacted you in a certain way, if he says, look, your, your rumbling of discomfort, that's from me. The crisis that you've just gone to, you know, I'm trying to steer you to flip you around to get your face on me. If he's saying, look, you've got a decision to make. Let's make it together. We're going to make a good one. I'm trying to change your thinking this morning on this issue. I'm trying to steer you a different direction. Or if you've done all that, and he says, hey, how about it's time to act? I'm pushing you out of the nest. Let's act, huh? And finally, if, it's, if you've done all that and you're like, I just don't know if I can hang on. If God's saying, just, just stay committed. Just hang in for the harvest. It's coming. I don't think you can do any of that without community, without rubbing shoulders with other believers and plugging in with a community. I mean, we're just one church. If you're new with us this morning, we would love to have you come and plug in here and be a part of this community. But if you don't, get plugged into some other Christian community, a church community somewhere, because I don't think you can do any of this stuff on your own. Here's what I want to do. I want to just go in in prayer, and I want to just pray through each of these quickly, 
But I want to give you a moment at the end of each one as I'm praying, just a moment of silence for you to just do a little business with God. So if you would, bow your heads with me and let's, let's just walk in a time of prayer and commit ourselves to what God might be saying in the area of change. Let's pray. Father, I believe that there are these significant moments I could walk through in my own life when you were telling me, Tom, please, would you let me get your attention? I want you to change. I want to walk you through change. I want to, I want to make you into the person I've designed you to be, but it's going to take some change. Lord, I recognize there's times where I was doing destructive things in my life when you were pleading with me, change for my own good. There was other times I was doing good things, but you said, let's make a change to do the best things, the things I've called you to do. And I just recognize in this room there might be quite a few people that fall into these categories. So, Lord, let's just, let's just give them a moment to pray to you, Lord. Would you just listen to each of them? If you're sitting out here and you have unrest, you have discomfort, and it very well may be this morning you recognize that it's God trying to get your attention. And he wants to talk to you about something. I want you to talk to him right now. I'll give you just a few seconds. Go ahead. Lord, there's some people that are sitting here and they are in crisis. They're walking through the middle of a crisis of relationship, crisis of job, crisis of finance, health, and the list just goes on and on. But they're in crisis. That's how they would deem it. This is crisis time. And it's true, Lord, we cry out to you in crisis often. And many, many, many times your response is, I love you, I embrace you, and now let's change. If that's you this morning, if you're in crisis and you recognize what, what God is really doing with your crisis, and it doesn't work in every single crisis, but you, yours, you know, and God is prompting change in your life. He's asking it of you. Would you just spend a moment praying to him, laying that before him, please? And then for you, you have, have come to a place where you know that a decision needs to be made. I don't know. You may not be good at making a decision. You may not enjoy that. But nonetheless, it's, it's before you. And now's the moment where you've got to make a decision. If you're going to follow what God has been leading you to or if you're going to follow your own path. If you're ready to follow, I want to just give you just a few seconds here. Would you just say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you. Whatever thing you're processing, go ahead and confess that to him. And Lord, I believe there's probably some, some faithful Christians out there that have walked through this process. They've made commitment to you. They love you. You're their God. And it's been a special connection but they recognize this morning that you have called them to action in some areas that are central to Christians in general or some areas that are specific to them. And they have up to this point not acted on it. If that's you, right now you could just propel yourself out with a prayer to God to say, Lord, I am acting on it. 
I know exactly what you've been telling me to do. I'm acting on it. I commit that right now. Go ahead. I'll give you a few seconds. Do that if that's you, and you, you need to talk to God that way. And finally, Lord, I know there's ones in this room that the real issue is it's been hard to hold on. They acted, they knew, they walked with you and made the commitment. But the harvest, waiting for the harvest has been very hard. We've got some dry times, some rough times. It just seems like it might even got worse. I want to encourage them to go before you right now and to say, Lord, help me to hang on. Give me strength. As we often say, we pray Isaiah 40 over them. That's a great passage for you to go look up later today and, and read what I'm talking about. Well, we pray for that, that they would hold true to the harvest. You pray that to God right now if that's you. And God, we'll give you praise for everything that you've answered here, even the stuff that, that's hard. We'll give you praise for it. We'll give you praise for every commitment that was made today, for every person that recognized where they're at and is ready to process forward. We'll give you the praise. Bring us blessing because of it, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, use this card if you would. Anything that you want us to pray for or to connect with, we'd love to do that. Also, uh, if you're newer with us, and we'd love to connect with you as pastors right outside on your way out. And we actually have a table out there with some extra gifts, uh, three different books that uh, we would love to give you one of those. Just bring your card to us instead of dropping it in the offering in just a minute, and we'll connect with you uh, that way and give you one of those books of your choice uh, as well. Let me uh, highlight just a couple things that are going on uh, as well. We've got a, a family game night that's coming up May uh, 18th. That's just a time for us to just get together as a church family and have a great time. So anyone's invited, whether you've been here for 15 years or if it's your first Sunday, you're invited to join us. It's going to be a great night of just fun and, and kind of entertain ourselves with, with community and just, just fun and games. So that'll be that night. Um, and then uh, I've been telling you over the last, especially if you stayed for our annual meeting last week, I've been telling you uh, this calendar year, our, our giving has really increased uh, percentage-wise. And we're just so grateful that for many of you, you've like, I just feel like God is telling me I need to be a part of faithful giving as well. And we just uh, we just commend you for that. It's been a great time. Um, so what we thought we'd do is over the next 90 days, for anyone who maybe has not gotten on board in that area, for the next 90 days, what we're going to challenge the whole congregation starting May 6th is to a 90-day tithe challenge. The tithe is the 10%, and that's how the Bible says we're to fund the church is to give 10% of our income. And so for the next 90 days, we're going to challenge everyone to take a 90-day tithe challenge for 90 days to tithe 10% of your income. And then the second part is we want you to write down every little blessing God does in your life. Every way that you're like, wow, I just took care of all my bills on the 90%. I've never done that before. Write that down. Every blessing God brings your way, uh, every way that he tells you and, and, and confirms to you how valuable the tithe is. Um, we want to do that for 90 days, and we're just going to celebrate. There's no teaching series during that time. I'm not working through it. Uh, we're going to be talking about other things. But we're going to be celebrating testimonies for 90 days of how God blesses when we choose 
to be a, a members who tithe. They're not just members, but, but followers of Christ who tithe because it's for all of us. So that's going on. Today, right afterwards, is our starting point class. We have many of you signed up. So if you are in that class, we'll basically hit the lunch about as soon as we're done with, with music here. So uh, if you are, have kids, we would encourage you, go ahead and get your kids fast today so we can have our starting point. If you're new with us today and you'd like to, or you're newer and you'd like to stay for starting point, we'd love to have you. There's plenty of space for you, plenty of food. Um, just come let me know right afterwards would be great. So sound good? All right. Well, ushers, once you come and take up our morning tithes and offerings, um, you can use the envelopes or use Wendover Hills. Dot org if that's easier for you. And uh, why don't you stand with me and let's go out singing. <laughs>